Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Hello and welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley podcast where we talk to some of the biggest and brightest technology companies and people in the industry and discuss some of the biggest topics from around the world. I'm Arjun Karpal in London. And I'm Saheli Rajodhri in Singapore. So today's episode is going to be all about privacy and your data. This has been one of the hottest topics for a long time now, a, a lot of debate around this. And Saheli, when you and I were, were talking about the idea for the podcast and also doing some research, you came across some pretty interesting stats around data. I did. And okay, prepare to have your mind blown. This was in a Forbes article that I read. Did you know that 90% of all the data that's out there, that was created over the last two years? Now, what does that mean? That means that there are 2.5 quintillion bytes of data that is being created every day. Now, Arjun, I know what a million is, I know what a billion is, I even know what a trillion is, but what is a quintillion? Now, I can tell you, it's a very, very, very big number. And it's happening because more and more services nowadays, they're collecting data on us that about what we're eating, what we're shopping, what we're watching, just about everything that we're doing on the internet is getting recorded. I mean, think about Uber as an example. Now, you would say that it is a big ride-hailing company that we use to book ourselves a cab or a car, and it will take us wherever we need to go. And you'd be entirely right. But then I can argue that it is also a data company. And let me tell you why. Last year, Uber gave 4 billion rides around the world, and that's more than half the world's population. Now, if you think about it, each ride has a data point, or, or rather several data points. The distance traveled, what, when the ride was booked, where was the pickup point, what was the drop-off location, many, many more. Now, multiply the, each ride and all of those data points by 4 billion. That's a huge, huge, huge trove of information on our travel habits. And Uber's not the only company. Google has data on us. Netflix knows what we like to watch, even those binge watches that we don't want to admit to. Uh, Amazon knows our shopping habits. Facebook. And Facebook knows everything about us, who we are, our birthdays, our friends, plenty. And I'll tell you, I have had Facebook for about 10 years now. And when I downloaded a copy of my data from the website, that file size was massive and it contained everything. Every message I ever sent, every photo I uploaded, every comment I wrote. And I got to tell you that when I think about it, it's a really, really scary thought knowing all of that information about me, my browsing activities, the kind of person that I am is all out there. Yeah, I, I actually did the same thing. It's a, it's a real eye-opener, eye actually, when you look at the kind of information that many of these companies are holding on you. Actually, I'm glad you brought up Facebook because this is obviously a company that's been in hot water ever since a lot of the news around uh, the, the data scandal involving a company called Cambridge Analytica came to light. Um, a little while back. Now, I just want to run through our, uh, for, our, for our listeners who may have not heard this story. If you haven't heard this story, where have you been for the past few months? So, so what happened was in 2014, there was an app that was using Facebook user profiles and collecting data from those users. Now, 
it wasn't only collecting data from users, it was collecting data from those users' friends. And I think that was uh, another huge controversial point about this. All in all, uh, over 80 million Facebook profiles were affected. Now, that data that was collected was then sent over to a company called Cambridge Analytica. And they build themselves, market themselves as a uh, political consultancy uh, who uses data to help influence political outcomes that company is now defunct but as a result of the scandal but the big thing there was the way that many people were unaware of how their data was being collected in 2014 facebook actually had a opt-in uh, an opt-out function that you know people had agreed to saying it's fine for you to collect data on myself as well as my my friends on the social network and i think that was uh when people found out that that's what had happened it was a real eye-opener around the fact that we sometimes blindly just accept the terms and conditions that come with apps that come with these internet services that are free but of course we know they're not free you pay with your data and that's really what's been coming to light now but another big problem i think around this story is about the fact that people just don't know what data is being collected but also how to see what data is being collected and and there's an interesting story and an interesting person we're about to bring in here. His name is Paul Olivier de Hay. Uh, he's the CEO and founder of a company called PersonalData.io, and he's been on a crusade since the end of 2016 to find out what information Facebook's been holding on him, and it's been an extremely tough journey. Uh, we have him here on the line today. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. I just want to kick off with you know, the, the crux of this story, which is really about the battle you've been having with Facebook over your data since uh, late 2016, early 2017. Just run us through your story and what's been going on over this whole time. Well, I've been very involved with a lot of journalists in trying to understand the Cambridge Antica story for a long time. And I realized that we would basically, I realized already two or three years ago that we would be in the situation we're in now, which is that lawmakers, the general public, journalists are begging Facebook for more transparency um, on the use of data in the political context. And I thought that this is this is going to be a wrong dynamic. This is not a good dynamic to have. Um, and actually, the law grants us a lot of rights to each of us individuals to have that transparency, to demand it, not to just beg for it. And so that's what I've started a long time ago, is to, to ask for all those data points that would really help me, but also potentially any individual, better understand how their information ecosystem is shaped by Facebook and Facebook's business partners. So precisely, I've been asking Facebook to give me my browsing history as collected by Facebook and um, custom audiences that they've placed me in. And custom audiences is a Facebook tool that helps marketers construct lists of people to target on Facebook. And so when marketers use that tool, when advertisers use that tool for whatever purpose, you know, maybe political, Facebook ends up collecting a lot of information and some of that information is personal. So that's what I was trying to get to. And where, where have you ended up in that battle, Paul? So those two data points are like one of a list of data points that I asked. So some of them, I, I just dropped the matter because they were being too, too uh, reluctant to give it, let's say. Um, but for, for, for custom audiences and what's called the pixel data, so the browsing data, the reaction was a bit different. 
for custom audiences, um, at first they were reluctant, then I insisted, I went to arbitration, which is my right. Um, and eventually they told the judge, we don't understand why he's doing this because the tool or transparency tool actually makes that data already available. Um, the truth is that before telling that to the judge, they changed the tool the week before. So that wasn't quite, you know, very honest and very straight from Facebook, but nevertheless, that was their reaction to change the tool. So anyone can now go on Facebook, use the transparency tool and have much more information about the custom audiences they've been placed in. Um, for the pixel data, they were much, much more uh, hostile or reluctant um, to give me information. And so they, um, I tried the same thing. I tried to escalate it with arbitration, but they, the arbitrator is supposed to be independent, but nevertheless, they uh, they talk and and to always conduct discussions with both parties. But nevertheless, they convinced the arbitrator on the side that the arbitrator didn't have jurisdiction for this matter, and so they convinced the arbitrator to drop it. But then I um, I, I appealed to the Irish Data Protection Commissioner and took a long time to convince the Irish Data Protection Commissioner to act. And eventually Facebook was forced to give me a more substantial response. And the response was that um, it would basically cost them too much money at their scale to be able to answer my request. Um, now that was really interesting because the, the basis for those rights uh, is really democratic oversight. There is no, no question of balancing their commercial interests against that, um, but they were still trying to make that argument. And so that was my situation. And then when Cambr the Cambridge Analytica story exploded in March 2018, it suddenly became very interesting. So a lot of lawmakers became interested in my efforts and started asking executives and even Zuckerberg about what's exactly the scope of the, the transparency tool. And they basically got, got wrong answers. I don't want to say Facebook was lied to by Zuckerberg, but certainly his answers on that precise topic were not correct. Um, and so now it's becoming more and more interesting as lawmakers are pushing Facebook on that specific point. Beyond the Valley reached out to Facebook for comment, but are yet to hear back. And Paul, what was the initial response from Facebook when you put in this request to acquire this data that they have on you? Sure. So the common framework to help understand this is that Facebook puts people in contact with others, right? And those others could be companies, could be websites, could be whatever. Um, but as they do that, they collect more and more data about those individuals. So for the, for the pixel data, this is data that is tracked as you browse just any website that has a Facebook plugin. Um, so basically Facebook is collecting your browsing history through websites communicating that you have browsed that site. Um, and that's what I was asking for, my browsing history. Um, and for the, that's the pixel data. The tool that they use to collect that data is called Facebook Pixel. And now the other, um, the other data point is the custom audiences. And in this case, Facebook would say they help connect individuals with advertisers. Um, and so advertisers upload lists of email addresses, phone numbers of people for whom they claim they've 
received consent to advertise to them. And Facebook is like, okay, fine. Um, I match this phone number to Paul's profile. So I understand that you're, you can do targeting, targeted advertisement to Paul. Um, and I'll put Paul in this um, custom audience that I've built for you. I won't tell you that Paul is in the custom audience, but this is the custom audience to contact people um, associated to that mailing list of yours. But my point was that now Facebook knows a little bit more information about Paul, about myself. And that information is that I have provided consent to that advertiser. And so that's what I was asking for. Paul, I want to I want to jump in actually because, you know, since the Cambridge Analytica story is broken. What we've seen is uh, Mark Zuckerberg appear in front of lawmakers over in the US. We've seen senior Facebook people appear in front of uh, lawmakers in the United Kingdom as well in, in Parliament. Um, has anything changed from the company since then in terms of its uh, attitude towards data, towards privacy? And actually, have you been back in contact with the company since then? And how has that reaction been? Um well, they, they are disclosing more data. They are disclosing more data to, um, to the general public, to journalists. For instance, what are the ads that are being um, shown by different advertisers? Uh, so a journalist could go on a page and see all the different ads run by that page. But if you, if you look, that data that they're releasing is mostly about content. What content is being played? Um, there's very, very little limited disclosure about the targeting that, of that content. And that's precisely what interests me and I think should interest those journalists is how are those messages being spread around? There's two elements to this problem, the content and the targeting. And for the targeting, of course, that's, that's Facebook's blood. That's Facebook's core, val core, um, core asset. So they will not disclose that voluntarily. This being said, um, they did change one element there, and I, I should have said that earlier, um, relating to the pixel data, the history. So now that they're under so, so much pressure, um, Zuckerberg has announced that they're building a new tool called Clear History, um, where they will show you your browsing history, and they will give you the option called Clear History. Now, this option is the, t the name is misleading because what it actually does is that it it keeps the history, but it just disconnects it from your profile. Um, and that's, that's re-engineering your identity in a way that still benefits Facebook, but relieves pressure from them. Um, and so that is still problematic, uh, but it will be, it is a first step in the direction of transparency that I was demanding basically. Have Facebook and many of the other large technology companies got a sense that perhaps they're too big to comply with, with some of the new regulations? And what I'm talking about here is specifically the general data protection regulation, a, a new regulation in the European Union that came into effect in May. And of course, you know, for those of people uh, listening who don't know what that is, that is an attempt by the European Union to make uh, websites that hold data on you more transparent or anyone who holds data on you more transparent and and holding that data in a responsible way as well um have there been changes substantial changes to the facebook platform since then 
or are many of the changes merely cosmetic? And and do you get a sense that some of the large technology companies are too big to comply, or or are they complying with the law? So really an interesting question that packs a lot of things together. Um, so far, the it's just cosmetics on their part. Um, this is this law is a hindrance to them. Um, they want to do the bare minimum. Now, you were also asking me if they're making the argument that they're too big to comply. And the answer is yes. To me, to my individual request, they've made that argument and they've made it explicitly. Um, Facebook has said, like, if you unpack their argument, they are basically saying, if we are to do this for you, we have to do it for all of our user base. So that's a lot of people. Um, but that's that's not that's not the shocking part. Um, the shocking part is that they are saying the way our systems work, the complexity of retrieving the data for any one individual, like you, Paul, is proportional to the size of our user base. And so there is a sense in which they are claiming answering your request is as complex as the square of our user base, right? So not just how big our user base is, but how many communications we manage. And that's really directly tied to their dominance. So if you, if you really like shorten their argument, the argument is basically, we are so dominant that we're too big to comply with your request, which is shocking. And it's crazy that they would make that argument, but they are making it. And, but, but in your question, there was more. There was, um, is it actually impossible for them because of their size to comply? And I think that it's the exact opposite. It is the exact opposite. They have so much talent in their, I mean, at least right now, in their developer pool. They have so much money to th throw just at technical problems that if they wanted to be compliant, they could. The problem is not with the with the technical aspects, the problem is with the business model. I personally think, and I guess many, many start to think that their business model is just outdated. It's no longer viable with the GDPR if the GDPR is properly applied, but they haven't yet found a new one or been willing to make a switch. And that's where the real problem is, is internally between you know, the dev team that might say, oh, this is totally possible. But then the, the business team saying, but we can't do that because that's all core assets that would just drain away from us. So what do you think uh, the regulators in Europe are going to do next? Because you have this law that has got into effect. And if Facebook continues to not comply, then that's not that what's to stop other tech companies from saying the same thing that you know, it's going to be too costly, It's it doesn't fit the business model, and therefore we're not going to comply. So the regulator has to find a way or find a balance between enforcing this law, but also at the same time, uh, you know, just maintaining the balance and then keeping Europe, like, not, not to come down too hard on these companies. Where do you think that balance is? Why shouldn't the regulator come down too hard on companies that are not respecting European law. The, the, the way I see it, this new law on data protection is trying to, to, is trying to find a very subtle balance. And those, that's, that, that balance is included in the law. It's not in the enforcement of the law that the balance should be present. Um, there is a law, European companies have to keep to it. 
I don't see any reason why those big players who are far away should not also be subject to that same law. If if we're going to relax that, then we're basically putting European companies at a huge disadvantage compared to global companies. Um, but in, so indeed, it is it is crucial in my view to the enforcement aspect will be crucial. Um, and now recently we see that the ICO, the UK Information Commissioner's Office, has decided to fine Facebook the maximum fine under the previous data protection regime um, for not respecting the law in the Cambridge Analytica scandal. So not only that, which is a big signal, but also has said that he would start investigating um, more generally Facebook's tools uh, in the context of political advertising and crucially that it would involve the Irish Data Protection Commissioner in this investigation because Facebook is based in Ireland for Europe. So basically it's the Irish Data Protection Commissioner that is most responsible for Facebook's operations around Europe. And that's really important because the next clear step is for the French Data Protection Authority to do the same thing, to also liaise with the Irish one and to also investigate, and for the German one, and so on and so on. And basically all those non-Irish data protection authorities to finally put pressure on the Irish one so the Irish one properly enforces the law and does not anymore um, take into consideration other aspects that are irrelevant to data protection enforcement. So does this mean that, you know, in the future, every time a tech company fails to comply with the law, they would just continue to find them? Or is there, or do you think there could be another solution that is more uh, overarching and also long-term in terms of, because, because right now, what the, what the ICO in the UK did was to find them 500,000 pounds on penalty and accused Facebook for not doing enough to protect user information uh, over this whole data leak with Cambridge Analytica. So is this going to be a case by case basis or is this or is there something more generic out there that regulators can do to make sure all of these companies fall in line and they do not use this whole they're too big to comply excuse to get away with um, complying with GDPR laws? Right. So, so the fines aspect is really interesting because that's what grabs the headlines. Um, it was 500,000 this time, but with the GDPR, it could be much bigger. But the data protection authorities, they all say the same thing. They all say that fines are the last resort for really the most egregious uh, offenses, repeated offenses, and so on. Um, but they see their toolbox as much more uh, broad and some other tools being more useful. So what they can force, so they personally think that the biggest, the strongest thing they can do is to, uh, to forbid simply some processing. Um, and so that, that might be true. I mean, if you have a company that is built on some types of, um, of processing and that, that, uh, that is core to their business and suddenly someone comes and says, no, you can't do that. Then the com whole company falls apart, right? Um, so that, that might be true. But I think in, for everything that's related to enforcement, it will be much more, much more effective if you focus on the, the interactions with other companies. So if, 
if one company is flagged as a really bad player um, in this ecosystem and some data transfers are forbidden, no Facebook, you're forbidden to take data from other companies through custom audiences. Um, and if this is broadly known, then any company that uploads data through custom audiences is potentially subject to a fine themselves. So that means that you know the, the French Data Protection Commissioner could go to any French advertiser who uses that particular French uh, that particular Facebook tool. And now we're starting to talk because um, that gives them much more uh, oversight powers and much more leverage over those smaller players that are more local. And Paul, do you think GDPR is a uh, standard that should be rolled out globally? I, I think so. I think it's a really good... There are problems, but let's see how you know, GDPR is enforced in the coming two or three years, and then maybe let's revise it a tiny bit. But as a baseline, it's a really good standard to have globally. And actually, it seems like a lot of countries are starting to think the same. Um, the The... A lot of countries are updating their data protection laws to kind of match the European level to try to get to try to get adequacy um, rulings by the European Commission. So data flows would be facilitated with those countries, um, and it's not small ones either. I mean, it would be like uh, Korea, Japan, presumably if and when the UK leaves the EU, the UK would try to get such an adequacy agreement. Um, I think Argentina as well, you know, some big countries. But there's also um, a, a big change recently in California, where California has voted a law that kind of really quickly and shockingly quickly um, that goes a long way towards GDPR and actually in some really interesting cases even goes further. Um, so, yeah, it's, it does seem like the GDPR has a race to the top effect. Now, look, Paul, as we wrap out this this chat here, I think there's probably a lot of uh, listeners out there thinking, well, like, I didn't even realize how much data was being held in me by a lot of technology companies. I didn't even know the extent of, of, of how it worked. You know, a lot of people think their data is being sold and, you know, it's really they're being sold to advertisers. So, so as you look at the data landscape, how would you advise people to stay private online, which does seem like an increasingly connected world? People, I mean, it's really sad that people have to take these steps of hiding themselves, essentially, um, because some actors are not respecting their them, simply said. Um, but the, the simplest steps to take are to install um, what's usually called an ad blocker, but an ad blocker is a misnomer because what you really care about is not the ads being blocked, is the tracking being blocked, right? So, and in this misnomer, there are some companies that actually just block the ads, but increase the tracking. So you have to be really careful which one you choose. Um, so that's one thing you can do. And then another thing for your, your smartphone um, is to make sure your settings are locked down. Um, you're about what kind of geolocation you share and with which apps, only share it with those you trust. Same with your pictures, same with your contacts. Um, and, uh, also block the advertising ID that might be shared from your phone um, with your OS provider and then with advertisers eventually. That's kind of your unique, the unique identifier of your phone. So that's a really sensitive 
um, piece of information. Awesome. Paul Olivier De Hay, founder of PersonalData.io, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. That was Paul Olivier De Hay. He's the founder of PersonalData.io. And I think one of the big points about that discussion was around the General Data Protection Regulation or GDPR that was introduced uh, this year in the European Union. And it governs all services on the internet that are collecting data um, on citizens based in the EU. And that's been a big deal for me because actually I've been looking through a lot of the permissions uh, on these websites and it's laid out in a lot clearer way because they have to now. And you can see exactly what you're opting in and opting out of. And I've actually gone through a lot of my social networks and turned off a lot of the the data collection features or at least the more targeted advertising. And I think that's me. That's someone who's kind of lives and breathes technology, reports on technology and understands what's going on. But I, I can imagine that there's a lot of people who just filmed overwhelmed by the amount of emails they're getting, the amount of uh, pop-ups on websites asking them to review their cookies and privacy policies. And I can imagine a lot of people have just continued to just agree to, to what's been going on. So, Heli, as you look at it from Singapore, I'm obviously based in, in the EU for now, Um how how's GDPR been affecting you uh, and how do you see it playing out? Well, I can say for a fact that I'm one of those people who have had to review plenty of emails all telling me that various services that I've signed up for have been changing their terms and conditions. And, and the funny part was that I didn't even know that I had at one point in time signed up for any of those services. Now, the thing is, GDPR was just rolled out in May, and I personally have not seen any dramatic change in the way I consume content online. But I think the thing to think about is it's too early to to say uh, what kind of an impact GDPR has had or might have had might have on companies or on the internet in the future. But it certainly provides a framework that other countries can follow. I mean, Singapore has been talking about introducing a more coherent set of uh, cybersecurity laws and data privacy laws that can then be you know, applied across the Southeast Asian countries that are member of ASEAN. That's, the, that's our equivalent of the EU. Uh, but here's the thing. Regulation is something that every time there's a new technology coming out, people always talk about regulation. But the question to ask would be, how much is too much? I mean, do you want to regulate companies to the point where, you know, you you end up uh, stifling innovation, where you have too many rules and companies just either don't have the resources to comply with them or they just, you know, cut back on research and developments or what have you they might have done if the rules weren't so stringent. But at the same time, when you when you think about regulators, and I've spoken to a few regulators in this part of the world, and they always tell me the same thing, which is, it is your responsibility as a regulator to also protect people, your everyday users, against corporate interest. Now, Arjun, I think the takeaway for me personally from both uh, this GDPR rollout and the Facebook scandal that erupted this year is that people are becoming a lot more aware about the kind of information and data that companies collect on us. Because previously, you know, when when those services were new, you think about Facebook when 10 years ago, when Facebook was uh, such a hugely popular thing among most college going kids, we signed up for those services without really thinking about what we were giving away in return, because it, it, 
I mean, sure, they provided those services to us for free, but, you know, it, and we thought that, yeah, we are getting a really cool free service, but what we didn't realize that in exchange, a company like Facebook or even Netflix, I mean, it, that's more recent, they've been collecting uh, information about us, about our internet habits. But now I think people are a little bit more aware and they realize that these companies are going to collect data on us, that they're going to continue to do that. But here's a caveat, though, I wanted to point out, which is that data is, or massive amounts of data, is not always bad. I mean, it's it's good to have, like, you know, large anonymized data sets that, that can tell you a lot of things about the general population habits that could, you know, help companies come up with new services or new programs or what have you. But again, as I said, it's it's all about striking a balance. Where Where is that fine line that you draw in the sand? And I think that is uh, where the conversation is going to go moving forward. Absolutely. All valid points there, Sally. And I completely agree with, with all of that. Guys, for all of you listening out there here at Beyond the Valley, tell us what you think about uh, how your data is being used. Did you know how your data is being used or did you even know how much data was out there about you? And also, since some of these new regulations have come in, have you changed your habits about how you use internet services? Let us know. Get in touch with us in any way you want. We're on Twitter. I'm at Arjun Karpal. And I'm at Saheli RC. Thanks so much for joining us today. All right. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, so that I think we're going to wrap up today another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley podcast. Keep listening. There's uh, lots more episodes out there and hopefully we'll see you next time. Beyond the Valley.